Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Colum Cronin today. Uh, he's a senior lecturer in physical education and sport coaching at Liverpool John Moores University. Uh, Colum was just recently announced as a young scholar for the 2019 ASEP conference. Uh, so we wanted to have him on here to share some of his past work. Uh, so here we go with a new episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. Now, the article we're highlighting today is titled Lived Experience and Community Sport Coaching, a Phenomenological Investigation. Uh, it was published in 2015 in Sport Education and Society. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, hi, Risto. Uh, yeah, it's great to join you. Uh, I've listened to a lot of the other podcasts and really enjoyed them. So I hope you keep them coming. Uh, in terms of this paper, this is one of my earlier papers. But I thought it might be of interest to the listeners and uh, kind of informs where my later work has come from. Um, it's focused on coaching in community contexts. And my PhD supervisor, Professor Kathy Armour at Birmingham, uh, provided lots of help. So lots of credit goes to Kathy, who's brilliant. Uh, and of course, to the reviewers and editors of Sport Education and Society, it's a good journal that I think some of the listeners will be interested in accessing. I hope it wasn't too much of a chore reading the paper for you. No, no, not at all. Uh, I think uh, I think it's a really good, interesting connection for like we talked a little bit about having coaching and teaching together. Um, I I think I I agree with your overall consensus of coaching and uh, teaching being about learning. And I think in our position. I think sometimes we may tune out and when we hear coaching from a PE perspective uh, and maybe that is part, you know, it could be because some PE programs have built into them that they're really serious about putting out teachers and not coaches. Um, they might think that it doesn't relate, but in large parts, it's the same thing, you know, like your specific study focuses on experience of coaches in the participation domain. Um, so to get us kind of started, can you explain or provide an overview of what it meant, uh, what it means to be a participation domain coach and how it's different from the performance domain? Yeah. Okay. So I started to look at, um, coaching, uh, very much from a kind of sport pedagogy perspective, this idea that coaching is about learning. Um, okay, we might be doing it in, in a sports club or on a weekend rather than in a P class, but ultimately people are being physically active, people are moving, people are trying to learn. Um, when I try to understand how that happens in different contexts, I came across a seminal coaching book uh, going back to 2002 by John Lyle. And in that book, John Lyle talks about participation coaching at one end of a spectrum and performance coaching at the other. Uh, now, for Lyle, uh, the differences, and actually these might have much in common, as I said, learning, physical activity, relationships between adults and young people, for example. But what's different between these is the intensity of preparation. So in a performance setting, you know, guys might be out on a pitch or a court and they might go for an ice, uh, an ice bath afterwards. Well, there's not many people doing that in a recreational setting. You know, okay, right. The sports science, the intensity of preparation might be greater. Um, and this is similar to some work that um, some psychologists based in Canada, uh, Jean Coté has also done. They've looked at where do people participate in sport and they've identified, again, performance settings where you might specialize in a single sport and put all your intensity into that. Um, 
let's say, for example, the very serious gymnast who is, you know, in the gym five days a week or something like that versus somebody who's in a more recreational setting. They're both physically active. There's still lots in common. There's relationships. There's learning. But one is much more intense than the other. I don't know if you're familiar with these models or have you come across them. They're very much in the coaching literature. But I think there's similarities to uh, yeah, and I and I haven't uh, I haven't uh, read the the Lyle book, and I I'm not super familiar with the with the models either. So thanks thanks for sharing on this. Good, because I want to put a big massive caveat on these models that I'm actually not convinced about them myself. I find them useful aids uh, to maybe say, okay, this is this type of coaching. Um, you know, we're in a more recreational, maybe play once, twice a week type of setting. They're useful aid, but I, I find them too static. Uh, so, for example, if we think about a, a pro team coaching, an adult pro team, there'll be times in a professional setting where a coach comes in and does some silly activities and silly games uh, to lighten the mood, to have some fun. So you'll see pro teams doing activities that are similar to recreational activities. Uh, and if you go to a recreational setting, you'll see that you know players still want to win. Players still want to be competitive. They might not be doing the ice bats. They might not be doing the performance analysis, but they're still competitive. So for me, these are models uh, to kind of give a general picture that in the participation setting, we're talking about uh, mass participation, inclusion, maybe sport for social outcomes. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't want to win or we don't want to be competitive. These models are a starting point, but coaching can be quite dynamic. Yeah, and I think that that kind of pulls in from the models-based practice conversation that we have in physical education. And uh, for those of you that are not super familiar with this, Ash Casey did a podcast, I think it's episode two, uh, that talked about uh, the models-based practice and you know what are the non-negotiables and are they static are they very strict and this is what a model is so i could i could definitely see the parallel um now can you talk to us a little bit more about your motivation in pursuing this research like uh what what is it about participation domain coaches that motivated you to undertake the study yeah so this is um a very personal answer then. So I came to do the study really through kind of an identity crisis kind of about 10 years ago. Um, I was uh, coaching in school, so doing the school team. I was delivering PE lessons. Um, this would be the equivalent of high school, sometimes doing some stuff in primary school or elementary in the US, you might call it. But I was also dabbling a little bit in more uh, performance sports, so maybe coaching representative teams, athletes who would train you know these are young athletes maybe 12 13 14 but they would be playing their sport three four five times a week trying to get into county teams or even national squads so i was really doing a mixture i was and doing some positive youth development stuff on Friday nights as well. So I, I was piecing together a bit of a, co a coaching career by dabbling in lots of, uh, of P school coaching context. And I was trying to make sense of what am I trying to do? What's my primary aim? What's my primary purpose? And as I read the, the literature on coaching, a lot of it wasn't really speaking to me. I found a lot of it was um, really... Um, 
describing coaches and, and coaching in kind of step-by-step processes this is how you plan and then you do this and then you analyze and this is it and it really wasn't uh, capturing the hustle and bustle of my life the the moving between a conversation with a parent to moving between a conversation with a referee to dealing with the relationships and the complexity of those i found the re- research that i was reading at the time was a bit too static uh, and basically i thought actually we're missing something here we haven't quite grasped this idea of what it means to be a coach. So I set about trying to find out what are other coaches doing, um, what do they experience, what's the real essence of coaching, Um, because I thought that would be useful for me to make sense of my multiple roles that I was doing at the time, but I thought it'd be really useful for other coaches to have an article that they could read and go, yeah, my life's a bit like that, what can I learn from that lesson? So it's very much trying to find out what does it mean to be a coach? Right. So you used the study and it was framed in a phenomenological approach. Can you give our listeners an overview of what this is and why it's so hard to maybe pronounce this word? And I'll probably pronounce it wrong. Uh, And so why is it selected as a theoretical framework? Okay. so for me, then, in selecting this, it's probably a really good example of how qualitative research is influenced by the qualitative researchers. So I came to this study wanting to understand what does it mean to be a coach? And that was my own personal interest that I brought to the study. And phenomenology is a theoretical framework or philosophy, really, that kind of addresses those big questions. What does it mean to be? What is the essence of an activity? Uh, But it does it... um, by trying to embrace the human subjective experience. All right, so what was the uh, purpose of this particular study? So what I really wanted to find out is how does a coach experience being a coach? So how do they uh, understand their role? How do they, what is their everyday lived experience? Um, and as a starting point for that then, um, I really wanted to uh, recruit somebody who was doing this role on a day-to-day basis, recruit somebody who had these experiences of the phenomenon of being a coach in this community setting, and to really ask them what it was like to be like that. Um, So that was our starting point, really, was to help make sense of what it means to be a coach, to understand the phenomenon. That would help me because I was trying to understand it uh, from my own perspective. But I thought an article like that would be useful for people who are doing multiple coaching roles to maybe read and understand and see what other people are thinking, feeling, and learn from those experiences. So that was the primary aim. So what were some of the methods uh, that you used? So on the basis of... Um, doing a phenomenological study where we wanted to understand the phenomenon of of coaching in the setting, we recruited a participant, a pseudonym John, and we looked to uh, understand John's experiences by asking him to describe them. Uh, The interview was very open, though. It was a very descriptive interview. So questions were like, uh, what do you feel when you're coaching? Uh, uh, What can you hear when you're coaching? Who do you see when you're coaching? Um, when are you a coach? So these real descriptive questions to get a rich account of what it meant to be a coach. Now, once we'd done that, uh, we then started analyzing the data um, in a pretty traditional qualitative way, identifying key concepts. 
But we really wanted to make sure that we had as deep a count as we could. So we did multiple interviews and went back over several times. You know, being a coach in pre-season might be different to being a coach, you know, the night before the big game or our championship game. So we really wanted to get some experiences over a bit of time. So we got these rich descriptions and then we had to analyze them. We use two methods which probably are slightly different. Once we've identified our key concepts, we really wanted to see, did they occur across time? Did they occur across the multiple interviews? And the ones that did occur across time, we started to think, oh, this is maybe essential. This is always present. This concept happens all the time. Maybe this is core to what it means to be a coach. And uh, so then we took those concepts and we did our second process, which is using our own imagination to see, could coaching happen? Could this phenomenon happen without this key concept? So this is called imaginative variation, where you start to imagine, is this really essential? Now, once we've done that and we've subjected that, we came up with two key themes, really. And that's kind of um, that summarized what it meant to be a community coach for John. Um, so that's kind of how we got there in the end. So you also added uh, a reflexive vignette in the study. Can you explain uh, what that is, what, why it was important to include that? Yeah, the, the reflexive vignette was really important uh, for our work um, and for phenomenology in general. Uh, phenomenology says that the route to understanding is experience. And as researchers, we bring our experiences with us to the study. So we've got to be mindful of that. Okay. Um, now, traditionally, f philosophers and phenomenologists would say that what you should do is you should uh, write down those experiences, you should talk about those experiences, identify your own subjective experiences, and lock them away and put them in a bracket so that they don't override the experiences of your participant, John. And that's a process called bracketing. Now, since early phenomenology work, more philosophy has been done, more research has been done, and most people don't subscribe to that anymore. What most people think is that your experiences as researchers could both hurt the study, but could also add value to the study. And this is called interpretive phenomenological work, where you bring your own interpretations to them. But what you do is you go through the early part of those process of identifying what are your experiences, what are your views, documenting those experiences so that you're actually managing to make sure that okay are my views overriding the experiences of john in this case or are they adding value so myself and kathy my co-author we wrote down our experiences we held each other to account when we were going through the coding are you thinking this because of this and really we really wanted to include those experiences in the methodology so that readers as they come to the results they could judge for themselves whether our own views and our own experiences were illuminating and providing insight on John's or were they actually tainting it. So really, the inclusion of the vignettes is an attempt to be transparent to empower the reader to reach their own decision. Yeah, and I think that's really important to have in research, especially working with, um, with the qualitative type of research that you do. Um, so... You had John as your participant. Can you tell me just a little bit about him, why he was selected? So John is a pseudonym, so it's um, not his real name. Um, a little bit about John. He's a, a young sports coach. Um, 
working in a, a, a small town in the north of England. And I thought he was a really interesting participant, A, because he was doing this job day in, day out. So he has experience of the phenomenon. But B, he was doing this right in the community. So John would deliver some PE lessons for school teachers. But afterwards, he would maybe deliver some after school sport. He was delivering some sessions geared towards people with disabilities. Then he might do a, a, a walking activity on a, on a Saturday afternoon to engage some people, uh, maybe elderly people. Uh, during the school holidays, he would put on holiday activities, kind of try to do some about inclusion, very much about positive youth development. Uh, very much around physical activity. So he was coaching in a town um, with some uh, social deprivation and he was trying to address these social outcomes. So I thought he was a really good example of somebody who's doing that work for the community, really, the community coaching. And he had experience of the phenomenon then. Yeah, and so it looked, to me at least, that it seemed really participatory with uh, with John being involved and not only data collection, but also parts of the analysis process. Uh, can you comment on why you took this approach and the implications for the way that we do research in uh, physical education and sport pedagogy? Yeah, I think this again goes back to that philosophy of phenomenology in terms of um, who is best placed to understand and explain a, a phenomenon. Well, we're coming from the position here that the best person to talk about community coaching is John because he's doing it every day, he's doing it at weekends, he's doing it most nights of the week. Um, so I don't want to remove John from this study. I want to embrace John and embrace his experiences uh, and to learn from those. Um, so it's basically the idea that actually let's work alongside John rather than parachute a researcher in to tell everybody what's really going on actually John's in there he's got these experiences let's value that I suppose that idea probably has a lot in common with collaborative action research um, probably has a lot in common with appreciative inquiry which I think has lots of promise and potential where instead of researchers coming in to tell practitioners what they're doing wrong we appreciate the views the experiences of practitioners and we work to build on them Maybe a little bit in common as well with autoethnography and ethnography, this idea of getting immersed and valuing what we see in a culture and understanding that. Um, so I'm very much in that space where I think we can work with Rorden on participants, and I think they can add a lot of value. Yeah, and I, I love that. Um, so let's let's jump into your results section. Uh, it's divided into two essential themes. So uh, I'm hoping that you can take us through them individually Um yeah, briefly. So the the first is time spent planning and then delivering uh, goes hand in hand. What does this mean and how does that contribute to our understanding of participation coaches? Yeah, I think this is a really good example of, um, of, of having a result which sounds obvious. And, and this is kind of what phenomenology does. It, does. It, it tells you what the essence of an activity is. And that shouldn't be surprising because if it's the essence of an activity, it should always be there. It should be something that we recognize. So this is something that's obvious, but because it's so obvious, we kind of take it for granted. We don't really question it and we don't really think about it. Um, so if we start with this idea of time spent planning and delivering, well, 
in John's experiences, that might have been something like uh, booking venues, organizing transport for, pe for people to get to his sessions, um, liaising with facility staff to make sure equipment is there that can be adapted to participants. So he was doing a lot of planning in an office. Uh, and not many people think of that when they think of coaching and not many researchers think of that. You know, we have a whole body of coaching research which focuses on coach behavior, but it only ever looks at what happens on the training pitch or what happens on the field of play. Well, John's still a coach before that session and he's still a coach after that session. But we take that planning for granted and we've never really looked at how coaches behave in those areas. So phenomenology brings this to light and says, look, this is a key part of it, and it's a part which is taken for granted. Maybe researchers, coach educators, maybe coaches themselves can look at John's experiences of planning and reflect and think, okay, well, how do I do those aspects of the role? How does John do those aspects of the role? What can I learn? So it's a good example that, you know, of something which is obvious, but is maybe often unquestioned. Right. And I think there's a lot in sport and physical education that are very obvious things that we might be uh, be up for a uh, second look at them. Um, so speaking of second things, your second uh, theme is time spent working with community entities. Uh, what did you find in your study related to that theme and uh, what does that mean for participation coaches? So, again, this is an obvious conclusion. But it's maybe one that goes unquestioned and it's one that we've taken for granted. So coaches work in communities. That means they have to engage with other people. Now, for John, that might have been teachers at a school that he was working with, maybe even helping them develop their PE practice. It might have been parents. It might have been his managers. It might have been facility managers. It might have been uh, bus companies to organize buses. And that might have all been in one day. So John's day is full of interaction with other people and it's full of relationships with other people. But again, when we look at coaching, a lot of the way we look at coaching is just on the coach. Yet the essence of coaching is that it's an interactive activity. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of good research as well that has looked at how coaches interact. Here I'm thinking of Sophia Jowett's work on coach-athlete relationship. I'm thinking of the work of Robin Jones, Chris Cushing on coach and athlete uh, relationships as well. But even then, we're looking at coach and athlete, but John was in, uh, interacting with many more people than just the athlete. He was working with fellow staff, managers, budget holders, parents, facilities. Um, he was working with private companies. He was in, He had lots of relationships going on. And I think we take that for granted again which means that maybe we should sit down as coach educators and think, okay, how well do we prepare coaches to do these relationships? Maybe as coach researchers, we've got to sit down and say, okay, have we explored these re re relationships that coaches have or have we just focused in on the coach as a single entity and missed the essence in that it's an interactive activity here? Uh, there might be some parallels to PE teachers here. I'm thinking about PE teachers, how well... How supported do they get for parents' evenings, for instance, and things like that? You know, do we just focus down on what happens in the classroom and miss the relationships outside of that at times? Yeah, I, I think you're right on there. I, and I see a lot of overlap here with um, with the work that I've done in after-school programs uh, and just even the paper that I was writing today before we got on Skype uh, about how we 
prepare or sometimes don't prepare our pre-service teachers to work in schools and to understand the culture of the schools and the community and after-school settings. There's so much more than just going in and managing class and knowing how to write lesson plans. So um, now, in your opinion, um, what, what are the most important findings from the study and how should they inform the practices of participation coaches? Um, oh, wow. Good question. So just before I get into that, I'll just jump back to your last point, if you forgive mm-hmm. me, because yeah. I was in Limerick last week on an exchange um, University of Limerick. They've got a big P department there. And there was an undergrad who who was doing a project there and, and, and said something which just fits really uh, neatly with what you were saying. Well, and they were saying that the P teacher was the teacher in the school who's best placed to interact with the community because they can go out and do coaching sessions, they can bring parents in to watch tournaments or sports days or fixtures. And I just thought there's something in there about what you said about the after school. Now, maths teachers might be able to do that as well, but not as many parents come in to watch kids do maths, mm-hmm. you know, but they'll come to watch the sports teams. And that idea that actually maybe PE teachers, maybe community coaches need to be outward facing and they're well placed to do that. So it fits exactly what you were saying. And uh, I should give that uh, undergrad at Limerick uh, a bit of credit for that. It's a great idea, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just wanted to add that, that this is yeah, something and I think that, that runs the line. It, it aligns with this whole school model and this uh, comprehensive school physical activity programming that's really big in the U.S. and a lot of research has been done on it. But they are the Shape America and CDC model is repositioning the PE teachers as the center of that school, but therefore also having that before and after school approaches um, community engagement you know involving the principal so i think there's a lot of potential for the pe teacher to be the centerpiece of a lot of this community outreach and and we at mason specifically we've had discussions in our um, teacher education meetings about how are we preparing our students to be able to embrace that role so you know, today's class, we're covering CSPAP and we're talking about how community is really, really important in in developing a healthy PE program. And I, I think that brings us back to two things. The first thing, which is how much this community coach PE role have got in common. But the second thing is, what's the implication? And I think the implication is that it's for educators like yourself, researchers, coaches, PE teachers themselves to read John's story, see what he experiences, and then use that to reflect on their own. How well am I doing my planning? How well do I help other people do planning as an educator? As a researcher, have I only looked at the on the field coaching or have I taken a broader view of coaching uh, off the field as well? Because they don't stop being a coach when the whistle goes. You know, there's a lot of conversations in coffee shops or a lot of phone calls after. Well, that's part of being a coach. And as researchers, we should explore that. So there's key implications there, I think, for researchers, educators and coaches to reflect on. Beyond that, I think there probably is something here in this phenomenology method as well. I think there's a big implication here to embrace people's experiences and to work with them. Uh, And to maybe to go back and to look at, you know, I came to this method through studying philosophy and maybe there's an implication here that maybe philosophy has a lot to offer education. Maybe we need to go back and look at philosophy of education and see if there's concepts in there that might 
um, help coaches, that might help uh, PE teachers, might help sport pedagogy. Yeah. So um, where do where do we go from here? Uh, kind of in your opinion, what would be important steps to continue this line of inquiry into the into the future? Yeah. So again, as I said, very much working with people is really important. I think so. We need to do more studies with coaches. We need to value their experiences, um, appreciative inquiry, appreciating what works and learning and getting rich contextual descriptions of that. Philosophy is a very common term, a very trendy term, but actually coaching researchers almost avoid the philosophy at times. So maybe we could actually go and look at philosophy and concepts and methods and see what we can learn for coaching and P and things like that. So I think it's promising. Uh, really yeah and i really want to thank you for your time i think um you know i really appreciate this type of overlap from you know we talk about sport pedagogy pedagogy physical education and coaching and like we talked about earlier it's it's about learning and i think we're doing uh the sim a similar kind of kind of work so can you let uh people know where they can find more information on your current work you're doing or your social media or anything like that yeah, so I suppose if anybody's listening to this and they are interested in learning pedagogy relationships, uh, they could uh, get me on Twitter, which is at Cullum Cronin. Uh, you might have to put a link to that. With the, yeah, the we'll spelling. link to that. Um, I also have a little blog where I try to blog uh, I, my articles into an accessible format. Uh, shorter article, a, a, a free to access article. So I've got some of my articles up on that blog. And again, you'll find that on my Twitter handle, uh, but it's at consideringcoaching.wordpress.com. Uh, so this article, there's a shorter version of that and an accessible version for that for anybody who doesn't have access through Sport Ed and Society. They can go through there. And this summer, I'm basically presenting at a few conferences. So ICEP, as you said, in, in June, um, but in the UK, we have a British Educational Research Conference where I'll be presenting and uh, a coaching research uh, conference uh, at the University of Worcester where I'm going to be presenting in September. And at those conferences, they're very much going to build on what we've talked about here. Uh, my later researcher is in caring relationships between coaches and athletes. And I think you can kind of see where that's come from out of this. If coaching is relationship uh, uh, activity, well, what type of relationships do we have and how do we improve those relationships? And that's where my research is going. So have a look on Twitter, those conferences, the, the blog on considering coaching if you want to see any more of that stuff. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll link to all that information. So just look down at the podcast description and it'll have all the all the links. Uh, thank you so much for your time um, and uh, really appreciate it. That's all we have for you on this one. Thanks for listening.